Hi, my name is Christine, and I'm your host for the Bitonal Podcast. Ding! Hey everyone, welcome to episode 2 of season 2 of the podcast. Thanks again for joining us today. Hope you're having a wonderful day, whether it's Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, whenever the hell you're listening to this podcast. Um, we got a lot of stuff to cover today before I jump right into it. Um, but before I do so, I want to give my fellow Canadian listeners out there a quick PSA. We are all aware that winter has hit us strong and early this year. You guys know that the first sign of snowfall Boom, everybody forgets how to drive. Uh, I've personally experienced the recent 401, 403, and QEW. It seems that every major road within the GTA has been a mess. So please remember to put on those winter tires and take your time going wherever you're going. Leave an extra 10 minutes early if you have to. Arrive alive, they say. In today's episode, the main topic is toxic masculinity. I first came across the concept while listening to Lewis Howes' podcast called The School of Greatness. For those of you who don't know Lewis, he is a former professional football player turned entrepreneur. He is the author of the book called The Mask of Masculinity. Through his work, I realized that Toxic masculinity is much more than just the bro culture. That's usually often depicted in sports and things like politics. It's the idea that men today are unable to express certain emotions and behaviors that they feel, which in turn affects not only the man himself, but also affects the people around him. This includes partners, children, and interpersonal relationships. Um, as some of you may know, I am a firm believer that children learn to give and receive love based on the love they were shown from their parents and the people around them. The best example that I have is the song called Daughters by John Mayer. Uh, the lyrics goes as, um, uh, Fathers, be good to your daughters. Daughters will love like you do. Daughters will love like you do. Um, my theory is back in 2003, John knew what toxic masculinity was and, you know, the female protagonist of the song, she had a father who could not express his love, affection, and vulnerability, so she sought all of these things from other men like John, but with no success because all the men turned out to be just like her father. Maybe John was just calling out all the men out there to stop perpetuating the cycle and repercussions of toxic masculinity. As a woman, I am unable to speak for the perspective of a man in 2019. So luckily, we were able to call upon Mr. Nathan Hicks, one of Josephine's colleagues. Nathan is currently pursuing a double master's, a master's of divinity and a master's of psychotherapy and spiritual care. He has such a rounded experience uh, working with incarcerated men. He helped them uh, readjust to society and supported them with their mental health. Honestly, from what I observed, he seems like a very kind, warm, creative, and emotionally intelligent young man. I really enjoyed our conversation, so I hope you guys do too. So without further ado, here is your episode with Mr. Nathan Hicks. Hi, Nathan. Hi, Christine. How are you, Nathan? I'm well. Thank you. How are you? I'm okay. Excellent. Today's That's Saturday? Cool. It is Saturday. Yep. 
I'm yeah. very grateful for that. Let the weekend cometh. Cometh indeed it yeah. comes. And then another one will come. And another, I don't know. The week just, weeks have, I don't know about you, but I feel like during the fall season, going into winter, mm. things just fly by yes, so fast. they do. I mean, well, I was in class the other day mm-hmm. and uh, my professor made me aware that we're done the semester in yeah. like three weeks. Yeah. I'm like, no, that's not okay. No, not okay. That means we have stuff to do. Well, that yes, <laughs> that means we have stuff to do. And also I'm just not ready to say goodbye yet. I just got here yeah i know <laughs> yeah so thank you for coming and uh, i know i know you're a busy guy you do a lot you are mm-hmm. a master's student now yes yeah. um do you want to tell the podcast a little bit about yourself um so how i recruited nathan he is josephine's classmate and peer colleague so um this is the first time we're meeting each other essentially mm-hmm. but i already know you're going to be a cool guy so this is going to be a fly interview i think that's that's how my reputation precedes me yeah <laughs> there you go So do you want to tell the podcast listeners about yourself a little bit, Nathan? Absolutely. So uh, my name's Nathan. Uh, I, my pronouns are he and him. I am a, oh boy, here we go. Uh, Straight, white, cisgendered, male, Christian, Mm -hmm. able-bodied, just listing all the things that really talk about my social location, Uh, middle class, yeah. Um, Social insurance number? Or no? Oh, man, I'm not. No, no, no. Maybe, no, maybe so. not here, right? But here's my credit card number. Oh, there you um, go. No, See, I, ladies. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, so in terms of um, what I'm currently doing with my life, uh, so I have a Bachelor of the Arts in uh, Theater and English mm-hmm. uh, from Redeemer University College. I went to Carleton from 2015 to 2017 mm-hmm. for a honors bachelor's of social work yeah i've been in ottawa for the last four years worked there uh in the social work uh, area Uh, we can definitely talk about that 100 percent. yeah um and i'm currently pursuing a master's of divinity and a master's of uh, the arts and spiritual care and psychotherapy exactly yeah uh, Nathan, not to and make, so much debt. Not so much debt. So much, so much school. Is, so many yeah. tears. Not to like you know set up like a dating profile for you. I always joke about this on the podcast. Uh-huh. Like this is kind of. Are you single right now? I uh, know I'm actually dating someone. Oh dear God! Yeah. Okay, don't <laughs> cut that out real fast. Sorry, guys. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah handful mm-hmm. man's taken. Mm-hmm. Um, but what would what would my Tinder profile like look like? It just like I don't know. I just imagine you like with the of course the ginger beer yes. and like holding a fish or something. <laughs> like typical, wait, like wait, typical like, male white ho- man holding a fish as in like I've just fished caught or it. Yeah, you okay, caught it. okay. You're like look at my strength. Look okay. how look how much of a provider I am holding this big. Uh, this catfish. I, 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 I love. Don't really know what I love that. That's the first image you uh, you come to terms with, and it's not like I don't know a deer. Uh, deer hunting, like, like freshly slaughtered Flat? and such. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Like lumberjack vibes, kind of from you, but again, we're overgeneralizing. I right? mean, I am my my date tonight is uh, we are going axe throwing, so there's that. You are a Meanwhile, very, back at the ranch. Yeah, meanwhile, back at the ranch, yeah. or meanwhile, back to the main topic of this uh-huh. conversation. So sorry about these tangents. No, it's fine. Um, that's what I do. Yeah, so, yes, so you kind of to tell the podcast, you worked in social work. I did, yes. You started there, right? Yep. And how was your experience working as a social worker? Oh, we want to dive into that, do we? Okay. Yeah, we can um, start there. Just a little bit more about you. I want to get to know you. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so I worked um, as a nonprofit organization that works with predominantly men who are either 
exiting or entering uh, the prison system. Uh, so majority of what they offer is halfway houses, uh, hundreds of different resources for helping men yeah. get back on their feet. Yeah. Um, I worked on, I started working part time, uh, casually in one of their uh, indigenous halfway houses. So mm-hmm. working predominantly with Inuit men who were just coming out of the prison system. What happens in Ottawa specifically is if mm-hmm. a man is charged with a, uh, a misdemeanor, a crime, um, he then goes to the mm-hmm. uh, detention center that's located around Ottawa. Yeah. Um, if he cannot make bail, he will then be stuck in the detention center until his charges are cleared or dealt with and he is um, convicted or not mm-hmm. or released. Mm-hmm. That, the length of time that that takes could be, as per some of my clients know, it could be as short as three to six months. It could be two and a half years. I mean, six months is not even that short. It's it's not. It's mm-hmm. really not. Um, so these are men who cannot make bail in order to be, get out of um, yeah. the detention center. Yeah. Uh, the detention centers in Canada have next to no funding for resources. There are very few... Um, mental health practitioners there, mm-hmm. uh, recreational programming, etc. Yeah. So you take a bunch of guys who are in a detention center who are all struggling with mental illness, addiction, mm-hmm. uh, anger management issues, etc. Yeah. And they are just going to be the absolute, like it's just going to go downhill exactly. like for all of them. Yeah. Um, it's actually more beneficial, beneficial if you can get federal time because the federal prisons are stacked with resources, um, resources and, stuff, right? and yeah. uh, funding. So what our program does is uh, if you make the cut, because we do have stipulations for whether or not you'd be a good fit for the program, yeah. um, the house is, it's based on the halfway house model. There's 12 rooms. Uh, individual rooms. It's a shared living space though. So kitchen and cable TV and all that stuff. Uh, it's a duplex. So there was, there were two sides to it, but, um, they, uh, we would, we would assess individuals who were interested in the program Mm -hmm. and the requirements were that you couldn't have a psychosis, uh, a mental health diagnosis that was too extreme Mm -hmm. for us to deal with because, We were single staffed, so I worked by myself. Um, wow. Yeah. So <laughs> Monday to Friday. What uh, was the ratio out of curiosity between like you and like the number of clients that you manage? Uh, tw- like 12. If the house was, we always only had 12 max. Right. Um, so I was always, yeah, supervising, uh, supervising the evening shift. Oh, that's fun. That, mm, yeah, super great. Sarcastic um, fun. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Monday, I worked for a year and a half, Monday to Friday, yeah. 4.30 p.m. to 12.30 a.m., mm-hmm. which as my uh, colleagues and even my manager yeah. uh, agreed with is the shittiest hmm. um, shift because during the day, all the residents are gone. Uh, overnight, they are asleep. Mm-hmm. My shift, they are returning. Yeah. And coming back with what their day has been. So if they've got into a fight or they're having mental health issues or anything like yeah. that, then I'm the one who has to deal with it yeah. by myself. Yeah. Um, but anyway, back to the what the requirements are for right. entering the program. They, yeah, so they can't be, uh, they couldn't have like active schizophrenia or um, 
like major delusions or hallucinations, mm-hmm. we wouldn't be able to handle that. Or just like anger management to the point that um, they, uh, like the cops would have to be called all the time. Yeah. Um, so they'd be pretty high functioning then. Not high yes. functioning, but pretty like. No, um, but that, that's, yeah. yeah, that's where they had to be yeah. pretty independent and high functioning. Yeah. Um, they, yeah, they, they, they did, could not have any history of being violent towards staff. Mm-hmm. Uh, if there was anything like that, we'd yeah. flag them and they couldn't come in. Yeah. Um, we we deal with addictions. We were, um, oh shoot, what's the word? Uh, I'll just describe it. Uh, yeah. So we were we were we were okay if you. We could not expect anybody to come out of the prison system who was struggling with an addiction mm-hmm. uh, to just go cold turkey. Exactly. Um, so. Man, I hate that I'm forgetting what the actual term is, but um, like all the guys did weed. Yeah. Uh, if they came back drunk, mm-hmm. then we were, as long as they weren't making a fuss or causing an issue, we were fine with that mm-hmm. so long, but they had to go to their room and sleep it off. Mm-hmm. Um, unless it was part of their uh, judicial conditions that where we couldn't get, that they could yeah. not have like any alcohol in their system, yeah. then we'd have to report it. Of course. Um, I think it's a form of leniency almost. Yeah. Yeah. I really, it's like non-harm something. Mm-hmm. Um, man, it's going to annoy me. That's fine. Um, it's going to come in the middle. It's probably, yeah. Yeah, it's probably, like, yeah, oh, yeah probably. there you go. We'll come back to Meanwhile, that. Meanwhile, back to that. Uh, yeah. Just, just edit that in when I have <laughs> no, that realization. You're good, man. You're good. Um, yeah. If they, if they were addicted on opiates, we could not take that. Yeah. Uh, cause it would just be 24 seven around the clock, uh, pumping Narcan into them yeah. and calling the hospital. Yeah. Um, yeah, violence, mental health, uh, addiction. Um, oh yeah. And well, this goes without saying mm-hmm. they had to have a plan yeah. about being basically an active citizen. Yeah. Like if they were going to get a job and work full time, best thing ever. Yeah. If they went to AA or NA, you're golden. You're trying. Um, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so yeah. in terms of the, so y- you talked a little bit about the demographics. So you have mm-hmm. the indigenous uh, folks and like the Inuits. And so that, w- that was the first halfway house I worked at. This yeah. was uh, broader. Yeah. Uh, there were indigenous guys, yeah. um, ages like 21. Uh, overall, it was like ages 21 to 67. Yeah. So all yeah. the basically adults, right? Yeah. Yeah, so very, very interesting thing. Like we can probably talk all day about like specific clients or like difficult clients. Oh, but yeah. what would you I say? Oh, I am sure you've seen uh-huh. some shit. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, you've seen some stuff. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear. I've seen shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've seen shit. Yeah. Um what would you say is the most memorable story? Like when did you walk in there? I'm sure you walked in there all like glossy eyed, like I'm going to be so great at this. I can, I can handle this. Oh, hell no. No. Yeah. Did you have any apprehensions like going into the job, like with your own like background, but as well as like knowing like the demographic, like were you some, was something you were afraid of? Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm, uh, I used to be, um, we can, yeah, we can, I can go on this tangent. Mm-hmm. Uh, I used to be really conflict averse and my, um, like I also have anxiety. So going into such a job and environment, especially the halfway house at first, I thought, oh man, am I going to get punched? Like this is the worst. Yeah, and like, you. someone's going to yell at me and it's going to make me feel bad. I don't like it. <laughs> um, and so that was something that I had to deal with. Mm. Uh, I think if someone had told me 10 years ago, you're gonna be working with um, with uh, guys with charges, criminal charges in the future. I would have been like, 
Okay. That's that's fun for you to think. Mm. Bye, please. Yeah. Um, not me totally. Not no. Me. Yeah. yeah. But it was it was something I had to it wasn't something I had to do, but I was also in like financial wreck and I needed a job and this was yeah. something that was offered to me and I, yeah. I took it. And it was a great ex- yeah. it was not a great experience. Mm doing it but it certainly helped me a lot in getting used to really hard situations yeah um whether i know if it just numbed me to that or traumatized me i couldn't tell you or i just got used to it <laughs> actually I, well no i can i can talk about that too i think you probably actively just learn how to cope with it and just walk yeah. in with no expectations at all right yeah because i don't know how you and that's a whole nother thing like i wanted to ask which is i, I have so much respect for like therapists and general mm-hmm. counselors because like again between 12 clients they have 12 unique situations yeah um how do you not let that directly affect you when you go home right like how much do you carry <laughs> how much do you carry that especially i feel like even with us as chiropractors or as like um healthcare professionals mm-hmm. you're, you're a healthcare professional too so it's one of those things where it's like where do you draw the line right it's i i i argue it's really imp- it's impossible to not let some of it bleed into your own life right and it's not like you know the, the patients i would see are generally people are pretty healthy physically and mentally um but like in your specific situation like there's like people have been through some traumatic stuff yeah i um it's super hard uh there were days where i would get into my car and just drive home and be like screaming which mm. i found very cathartic yeah um, or like the the pillow thing like you shove your face in a pillow and just scream Eh, I would I would just be like in my car screaming because oh, I, wow. I could. You're not even yeah. like hiding that, yeah. No, no. I mm. well, if I'm if I'm screaming into a pillow, I just don't want to wake someone. But no, I just get in my car and yell. Yeah. Um, that was cathartic. <laughs> I I think it really helps. Like for my situation, it was less than ideal, especially because uh, the shift that I was in was so isolating. Because. Mm-hmm. Um, when I'm going off to work, people are coming home. Yeah. So it was very rare for see, me to see my housemates um, or just friends during the week. And then once the weekend comes, it's either, okay, do I want to self-care and like rest? Or do I want to see as many people as possible? Because I really value my community and friends. So I think, well, how, how do I say this? You're not human if you don't take some of the stuff home there with you. There you go. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's just not possible. Mm-hmm. So I think for myself, at least it was very much, if it was the ideal circumstances, making sure that I am having contact with healthy individuals, because mm-hmm. when you're working 40 hours a week with men who are t- very toxic mm-hmm. and consistently uh, either getting into arguments or fights or uh, coming home um, mm-hmm. drunk or yeah. high, yeah. it's, yeah, it's rough. It's challenging. Yeah. yeah. So moderating that with, like, healthy interactions and exactly. also just so That was kind of your self-care. form of, like, self-care. Exactly, yes. right? So, yeah. so, again, because you're in that trade, you're like, yeah, I kind of know what to do. But I can imagine, like, if you didn't, if you didn't have those, like, protocols or those barriers yes. put up, like, you probably wouldn't have lasted as long as you did. Yeah. And I can remember, I think the first six months I was working there was rough as I, that was not the honeymoon period, but that was the trial period for <laughs> yeah. me of like, I want to do well at this and yeah. this is my job and I'm yeah. still learning and I just want to be perfect at it. Of course. Um, but 
uh, after I realized after a while, like I am burning out. Like I cannot, Mm -hmm. my main, my job was, uh, classified as support worker. Mm -hmm. Um, I was not their counselor. Mm -hmm. I was the authority member who Mm -hmm. oversaw and made sure that they were not, um, fighting, you know, Mm -hmm. keeping to their conditions and just, you know, okay. Um, but I was trying to be too many things to them initially, and that got me emotionally, mentally, and physically tired. Yeah. Um, especially if you're seeing twelve, if you're seeing every day mm-hmm. twelve clients, mm-hmm. like for a regular therapist, if you're seeing twelve clients in a day and you're spending like an hour with them, you're going to be burned out. Yeah. Um, and so I had to step back and just tell myself I'm not their therapist. I can check in with them, but my job here is to maintain order, uh, check and see how they're doing, yeah. and not push myself as hard as I could. Yeah, and I think because I'm one person. Because I feel like you're probably the same species as me and Josephine. <laughs> like we're, I think we're just probably you, you know, the three of us. We're just kind of caregivers. Yes, you know what I mean. Like you see how much you can help them, yeah. but you also need to draw the lines of like, okay, they're actually still responsible for their own crap. Like mm-hmm. I can't. I can't be like their their dad or their mom. Yeah. In all of this time, it sounds like your resume mm-hmm. is just very much surrounding the topic of men. I need a male voice. We need a male voice on here, I mean, right? You got, you got one. Yeah, yeah. So you are one of the first male voices uh, on the podcast. Toxic masculinity is the theme for today's talk. Yes. What does that mean to you? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, to answer the first question of what does it mean to be a guy, Mm -hmm. it's, I've, I I said this recently, someone gave a presentation in one of my classes and they mentioned toxic masculinity. And I said to them, I'm glad you mentioned that because I was always, well, first off, like I I was homeschooled until grade nine, uh, by my mom. And so going into public high school was a very real oh, wow. jarring process for me. Um, I was I was socially awkward. I didn't know how to make <laughs> friends. I didn't have friends yeah. really until high school. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know how to be funny or popular or any of that. Um, and so when I got to high school and saw that there was there were cliques and there was such an idea of when I saw like all the guys hang out, there was such an idea of what you had to be mm-hmm. in that group. Yeah. You had to be like, there was the funny one who mm-hmm. was, I don't know, fairly foul mouthed or mm-hmm. like over the top and doing yeah. things to get attention. There was the jock bro, um, the sports guys and all this stuff. Yeah. Um, and like the nerd. <laughs> yeah. Like I, yeah. Like, I, like in, in terms of like the more popular group, they always seem to have dominant male traits of yeah. being confident yeah. and like really open. Mm-hmm. Um, and whenever I looked at that, I thought, well, I'm, I'm not like that. Mm-hmm. Like, what does that, what does that mean about me? Like, yeah. am I not manly? Yeah. Um, and that's the thing I still struggle with mm-hmm. uh, because there's always this, I think society consistently um, we'll push this forward, but, yeah. um, there's always this idea of what a man has to be. And mm-hmm. I think, I think toxic masculinity is probably at the center of that. Yeah. Like toxic masculinity is, uh, just perpetuating 
a stereotype mm -hmm. of what a man has to be. Like exactly. how, rather than letting each man define themselves about what it means to be, I don't know, manly, masculine, mm -hmm. quotation marks, uh, it's, yeah, it's like this is the set standard. Yeah. You meet it or you don't get it. Yeah, exactly. So I Googled it beforehand. Mm -hmm. It seems to be, and we were talking before we started the podcast. Yeah. Um, I think it's a little bit more than just like, oh, yeah, you have to be, you know, the, the definition of masculinity or toxic masculinity is you need to perpetuate that image of being like a bro mm -hmm. or being like a manly man. Yeah. You know, it's another added layer of like you're not, you're unable to express the other side of you, like traditionally feminine traits, yeah, such as like being sensitive, mm -hmm. being um, caring and compassionate within your experience of working mm -hmm. with convicts. Like, yes. what was that like? Like, what did, what did it look like? Uh, it was hard. I mean, for so, so, because so many of them, when conflict arose, it was, I mean, it was basically who can be the alpha male here? Yeah. They said in their assessments, you know, oh, I, I just walk <laughs> away from it all. And yeah. that wasn't the case ever. It was uh, responding with shouting, raised voices, or at many times uh, threats of like, let's go out in the back and settle this. And yeah, right? um, I, yeah, which I never understood. Um, there was a lot. So violent tendencies uh, to a degree majority wise i saw a lot of them not wanting to talk about their feelings mm -hmm. or always just expressing the one emotion of anger it was yeah. never sadness so to speak or uh, not acknowledging that they were in a hard place like too many times of just sitting with someone and them saying huh that's hard whatever <laughs> goes on I'm like it's okay to acknowledge that your life is hard. Yeah, or like, you're feeling a bit overwhelmed. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you're you're human. You're yeah. a human man. You're not supposed to be this ever. Supposed to be mm -hmm. this epitome of, I don't know what, like, uh, David sculpted by Michelangelo. <laughs> like that's not. You're not a. You're not a god. You're not um, a god. You yeah. are a human individual with feelings and expressions, yeah. and it's okay to feel those. Mm -hmm. um, but they would either keep to themselves or, man, one of the worst cases I ever saw yeah. uh, for depression was one of my clients. He, call him Bob, not his real name. He got to our, into the program and all he, he wanted to work, but his conditions were so strict that we had to go, jump through hoops. But during that time that he wasn't allowed to work, his depression was so vast that he would just stay in his room for days sleeping i think in the first in the first 60 days that he was with us he yeah. lost he lost 40 pounds that's crazy yeah he was really yeah i've just never seen mental illness overtake someone to the point where they can't move was he a young guy say early mid 40s okay yeah um that was kind of the average that we had there yeah. but yeah just this consistent idea that yeah, that I can't express the wealth of emotions that I have, mm -hmm. uh, and the only emotion I'm allowed to share, which is my like manliest mm -hmm. quotation marks emotion, is anger or frustration, mm -hmm. or just nothing at all. Yes, or just nothing at all. It's mm -hmm. very true. Yeah. Um, Do you see between the group that there are people who are a little bit different from each other? Some people are more sensitive, or some people are more vulnerable, or are they all pretty like stone cold? 
that that's an interesting like I wonder I wonder if I'm backpedaling here a little bit because mm-hmm. I like as I would say that they were like limited in their expression and what they talked about they were they were very vulnerable just in terms of their uh, developmental stage because um, yeah. so many of them didn't like know how to cook or how to like express their feelings or had good social dynamics so there there were times where they would like vent to me about stuff but it was always stuff that they couldn't directly pinpoint within themselves it's like you're okay you're you're feeling you're feeling this frustration about what this other person in the house did Mm -hmm. but why Why? yeah let's unpack that why why. i'd say another piece to the toxic masculinity for them which was probably the most uh like in my opinion the most crippling was how it seeped into them relating to other people Mm -hmm. because they would talk to each other about like their issues and such but when it came to understanding or fully empathizing with each other or Mm -hmm. like supporting each other emotionally it was at least from what i saw i don't know what happened behind the sidelines um it was always like just like deal with it or I'm, i'm here to talk and like listen but yeah, there just there wasn't there was there wasn't healthy relationships mm-hmm. from what I saw. It was yeah. very it was very limited, mm-hmm. and I, I think too with the fact that you're around so many people in different situations didn't really offer them the opportunity to grow more in their emotional awareness of themselves or each other. Yeah, um, especially when if they get in conflict with each other, the uh, reaction is usually just to uh, fight or, mm-hmm. or even either fight or shut down. Yeah. Um, they weren't willing to express because my, whenever I tried to do or offered conflict resolution, it was never conflict resolution. It was always conflict mediation yeah. or um, separation. Yeah. It was, they never resolved or forgave each other. It was yeah. just separate them. And then later they'd say, oh, okay, we're fine now. Yeah. Now that the feelings have died down, but mm-hmm. you haven't resolved anything. You haven't, you haven't resolved like the, the reason why you got agitated in the first place. Exactly. Or why the conflict even began. Yeah. And that's the thing. And like not to like, use like the, the genders and the stereotypes, but like with girls, it's like we always want to, well, girls kind of are catty in different ways. Death glares. It's a good more pic- More passive picture. stuff. Passive stuff. And I think girls tend to hold grudges more than guys. Hmm. Did, I would, I would argue that point. That? Yeah? Yeah. I think men can hold grudges perhaps even more because they just won't talk about it. Right. Like, I think for men, if we're going to go with a stereotype here, mm-hmm. using toxic masculinity, mm-hmm. um, men will, they won't even address the grudge. They'll just think like, oh, it was nothing. Like, I'll just rub it off and not deal with it yeah um yeah or they won't understand with uh, the emotional awareness that they have just mm-hmm. um won't know how to communicate what they're feeling and then uh communicate it wrong mm-hmm. like make things worse probably yeah saying saying the words you hurt me and here's why mm-hmm. i think it, toxic masculinity would look at that and diminish it because it sees those words as weakness. Like yeah. saying someone hurt you emotionally yeah. connotates weakness yeah. for a man. Yeah. And like that's like a way in. That's like, you know, the Achilles heel, right? Yeah. So I, I hate just bearing it down to like stereotypes. Yeah. But like 
I, I mean, toxic I, masculinity is based off of stereotypes. stereotypes like it, it perpetuates stereotypes. It's one of those things where, like, I still think it's valuable to know the trends. Mm. And I can speak from the, the, the people I know, men and men and women, right? Yeah. And that's the trend that I see in terms of toxic masculinity. Like, how do you think, why, why is it a culture? Because we mentioned before that it's perpetuated from what I see. It's perpetuated from a father to a son to a nephew mm-hmm. to the nephew's friend who's also a male. And yep. then like so on and so on. And like yep. male educators, mm-hmm. like male influencers or, or role models. So like in your experience, like who taught you how to be a guy? And like who, like what, what kind of role models did you have? Whether it's like public figures or like in your personal life, who taught you stereotypically how to be a man, man? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'll talk about myself. Mm-hmm. I I'm very fortunate in that uh, my father kind of taking after him a little bit because mm-hmm. my father has been a counselor or therapist for most of his life. Amazing. So, uh, being raised, well, being raised by my mom, and it's it's funny because my my dad is more of like the emotional support guy. Yeah. Um, my mom has really come a lot a long way with that. Just in my experience, uh, she has been, she's more often the person that would, uh, take on what a man would normally do, which is to fix the situation. Yeah. Um, and it's like, she'll listen and then like offer a solution and such. That's such a unique dynamic. It is. Usually it's the other way around. It right? is. Yeah. She's, she's, I love her. Like she's great. And, uh, she's, I've. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, ironically enough, I had to train her a little bit and be like, yeah. mom, like, no, I just want you to sit and listen to me. And yeah. so I'm, not, I'm not needing a solution. <laughs> I need you just to listen. Um, whereas my dad was always the one who was there offering empathy and, yeah. um, and listening. So I was very fortunate to have that, um, uh, dynamic in my, uh, development. Whereas I think broadly, uh, so, because that's like shaped me to who I am today. But yeah. I think broadly, I mean, we can talk about Trump. Like, I think <laughs> Trump dictates. It always, it always either comes back to Trump or Hitler. Like, those are like right? the big conversation yeah. pieces. Yeah. Um, but I think Trump is just a walking definition of toxic masculinity. Yeah. But and with that, I think. We can talk about the um, amount of influence he has via a being president of the United States. Mm-hmm. Hashtag not my president. Mm-hmm. Um, Hashtag thank can, God. Yeah. Well, mm, um, I mean, he if he is my president because I'm mm-hmm. half American, but. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's from North Carolina, y'all. Uh, yeah, I am. Yes. I'm, I'm a dual citizen. My mm-hmm. parents moved here in 88. Yeah, uh, but and I can vote. I can vote next year. Yes. And. Vote, vote wisely. Yeah, let it just be someone who's not him. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anyone's better than him. Yeah. <laughs> not Pence, though, but anyone. Um, he, he is a walking definition of toxic masculinity, and because of the podium that he stands on, uh, I think he perpetuates and allows, like gives permission mm-hmm. to so many people to achieve that. Um, yeah whether it's at his rallies or just in general, I mean, uh, I think, I think social media has such a larger, uh, yeah, just the availability of free speech. Mm -hmm. It allows, it allows toxic masculinity to be easier Mm 
mm-hmm. um, from easy, more easily promoted, yeah. uh, especially given um, just the amount of trolls we have nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, that's I think that's easy because you can just say something mean about someone and then switch away. Yeah. Um, or like, um, I guess back in the day, there was like magazines and newspapers and stuff. Yeah. But now like... When you look at like Hugo Boss, when you look at like all these like GQ magazines, it's mm-hmm. it's a it's a certain type of way when it comes to like how they portray men, right? Yeah, like advertising, mm-hmm. advertising, social media, anything that um, is put on a pedestal and is promoted as like this is the thing that I need to be because it's always it just it's always a comparison game. Yeah, here's what you need to be. And here's what you are not. Good question between this. Who do you think compares themselves more? It girls or, or guys? Because I think girls, we compare each other in different ways. We're like, mm-hmm. oh, uh, she's prettier than me. She has more friends than me. Yeah. Um, she has a cooler job than I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of it's like almost superficial. Like, how, Is that like that with, with your experience too as a guy? Oh, hells yes. Yeah, it's uh, like, oh, his, his doing more. Well, it, uh, I mean, it's funny because mm-hmm. I... I didn't have the first experience of someone noticing that I had muscles until in, in grade twelve. Like <laughs> yeah. one of my one of my friends who's a guy. He's like, "Oh, Nathan, you have biceps," and I was like, "Well, oh, y- yes, I do." I'm. Yeah. I was never known for being the strong one, yeah. and now that's kind of my thing in my friend group. And mm-hmm. I mean, I can talk about that. There was a good few years where um at redeemer i was i was the fit one in my friend group and yeah. that was something that they they typically made jokes of or pinpointed on me mm-hmm. and so i kind of ran with that and was like oh, i need to be always fit like this is <laughs> this is the thing that i have value yeah. in because yeah. it's being noticed yeah um, it's part of your identity yeah, yeah. but struggling Sorry, what was the question? <laughs> um, the question was like, do you, uh, who, oh, who, do you compare who, yourself a lot? Like, yeah, like do all, guys do that? Like, do you compare yourself like, oh, who has like, all the time, whatever, whatever? It's a thing, right? All the time. Yeah. Like, so, uh, who? It's a human thing, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a human thing, but I think it's a, yeah, I think it's a very human guy thing for, speaking to my own experience, walking into a room and like looking around, like, oh my god goodness that guy's that guy's really tall over there and he's got like well, he's got the hair that the magazines say you should have yeah. and i'm bald so yeah. you know whatever <laughs> um and yeah. so you do size yourself up you size yourself up um in relation to what society and social media has told you what is attractive exactly. and strong mm-hmm. and what is not yeah. and this is interesting because for me at least because I am constantly affirmed that the things that I, the traits that I embody, mm-hmm. emotional intelligence, sensitivity, mm-hmm. um, patience, patience, mm-hmm. like willing to sit and listen with someone and just kind of these warm, um, I don't want to say feminine because yeah. I don't actually think they are feminine. I think they mm-hmm. can be very masculine. Yeah. Um, but the, these more warmer, less stoic traits. Yeah. Uh, told that those are like very, a very uh, attractive, very good and healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just I struggle with believing that because that's not what society tells me. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's it's a comparison game of like, 
Oh man, Jacob over there is, you know, he's got, he looks like, the, he looks like yeah. the part. That's, that's what women want right there. Yeah. And I'm not enough to meet that. So, See, but then you're also a very unique situation because uh, growing up with like, my male friends who are a little bit more, yes, like less stoic and mm. just kind of more compassionate and warm, like warmer tones. Yeah. They don't look like you, buddy. Like when I look at you again, just, just like this lumberjack guy yeah. holding, holding a fish, you know, <laughs> uh, I love that the fish is a thing. The guy I'd probably yeah. swipe left on Tinder, not, you know, and I'm no uh-huh. offense at uh-huh. all, but you're in a relationship. So it doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. But you know what I mean? It's one of those things where it's like you, you, you embody like both, both sides. So it's mm. a very unique situation, I think. Yeah. Cause like, again, like the friend, very much like the friend I knew in high school who's a football player who played mm-hmm. with the bass and the saxophone like yeah. you wouldn't you look at him and he would be the, he he presents as the alpha male in the room mm-hmm. but he has all these like layers to him too yeah. which is what is more representative of what reality is for men there's different layers same with women it's like everything's mm-hmm. very situational you yeah. know what i mean it's like if, if you're a man in a home with their family versus a man at work or yeah. a man like with their guy friends or like Mm -hmm. very, very interesting. So guys compare themselves too. Yeah. And I think that also comes down to a lot of insecurities uh, about ourselves. Like, you know, we need to be, Mm -hmm. we need to be fit in a certain way. Or I mean, I don't, I don't care that I'm losing hair. Like I'm (laughs) I'm going with it. I'll just grow a bigger beard. Um, I think it's like higher testosterone is related to like more hair loss. So interesting thing is that I found that it's not higher. Like, it's a little bit of that, but it's that the testosterone in your body is not doesn't react or mix well with um, whatever the uh, genetic strain is in your hair. Mm-hmm. So if you have higher testosterone, then mm. you lose your hair more quickly, mm. per se. But yeah. it's not that. And they still genetics, right? Yeah. It's another whole thing. Yeah. yeah. No, you got to rock it, and you do rock it. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. you're good. Um, um yeah like insecurities yeah Uh, girls very similar i Mm. I would say you know not that i walk in a room and size myself up but like Mm. it's one of those things where like with girls it's a little bit more of like a superficial insecurity sometimes Mm. like okay you know do i look pretty today or like um you know am i certain body size or body type like things like that um but i think at least on the female side. So thank, thank God to social media and all these female influencers, like, you know, plus size women. The definition of being a woman is changing, yes. I think. Yeah. Um, not even just what you look like, but how you act. You you, you know, yeah. women succeeding in a workplace, things are changing. Yeah. Um, like for guys, like, do you think that's changing a little bit too? Do you think, do you, the overall trend, are men a little bit more vulnerable when it comes to their insecurities now or... I think the idea of what's cool is changing. So, I mean, like, I think Marvel has done a lot with that because it used to be uh, 30, 40 years ago. Oh, you're in a comic books and superheroes. Lame. What a nerd. But nowadays, I mean, you can pretty much usually see a guy in the gym pumping with an Iron Man shirt on. Yeah. Uh, and it's become, it's become cool. Yeah. Um, so I'd say like, yeah, what, what is popular and what is, uh, interesting is going to set the record for like what it means to be a man. But I think there are so many different dynamics at play these days of like what is socially acceptable or what's cool mm-hmm. that the definition is changing. Yeah. But I think we're in a, I think we're in a space at least of where like we're, we're in that middle space of where it's like, but I thought these 
like the old stereotypes are coming out, but mm-hmm. I think new, I think new stereotypes are going to come in. Yeah. Um, or, and that's a thing with femininity too. We talked about, it's like the definition of it, mm-hmm. what it looks like to the world. Yeah. It will, it's ever thigh changing. gap, thigh gap. Hashtags. I don't understand. That's a thing. I never, well, yeah. And like, I think genetically you have, you either have a thigh gap or you don't. It's mm-hmm. a thing. Um, are, are guys insecure about the thigh gaps or no, I'm kidding. <laughs> like, no, but I don't, I also like when I, when I heard that it was a thing, I thought, what? why uh, it's uh, what's the point of this yeah and like you know maybe like 10 years ago it was a whole clavicle thing girls girls and their collarbones that was a huge thing i, I remember, don't recall that i remember like in middle school it was like if you had a clavicle if, if you had a collarbone sticking yeah. out you were like hot but anyway what? that's a whole nother thing why and was i doing specific exercises to like you know emphasize uh, my collarbone most this, likely this hurts me uh, yeah i know it hurts me too yeah it hurts me that I was actually there at one point trying to do like weird lifts and stuff mm, to emphasize yeah. my collar. But anyway, anywho, but I also like, I don't get like the the uh, progression or evolution of eyebrows either. Oh yeah, that, yeah. that's a whole nother thing. And yeah. like, uh, I don't even want to start with the beauty industry. Okay, okay. that's right, a whole cool. nother yeah, topic. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but like 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 I'm saying, it's everything is so socially defined, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. even though sometimes I think about these stereotypes and niches and stuff, I also realize like they're gonna change literally in the next five years. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think generally speaking in the household, mm-hmm. I see with my dad, my dad in Vietnam, you're just a guy, you go to work, you come home. That's it. That's the end of it. So my dad fought in Vietnam. Unreal. Yep. Oh, yep. well, I guess. This is a nice meeting of this worlds. This is a nice meeting. Oh, yeah. look at that. The children of, you know, that era. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, yeah. And literally my parents are like boat people. Like my yeah. dad, uh, he got sent to a Malaysian jail when he was oh, like wow. 20 because they caught him on this boat thing. Okay. They shipped him back and shipped him back to Vietnam. It was like really complicated. Wow. But okay. that's But like legally he got here. I think okay. one of my, my older uncles got here first and mm. then started like doing paperwork for like yeah. the whole family to come over. But yeah. immigration is a whole other thing. Back in yes. the day, it was so easy. <laughs> Back in the day, it's like, do you have a brother? Do you want him here? Yes, true. Yeah. Okay, cool. Get him over because like they needed like immigrants and people uh, yeah. back then, right? Sorry, another tangent. That's okay. It's it's ever changing. My dad, mm-hmm. when he came to Canada, naturally he had to pick up these roles, mm-hmm. right? Or roles that his father never played. Yeah. My my dad, my mom now, I would say equally share household work. Mm. Uh, how is your dad like? You, you mentioned he's just like basically well, he's a counselor he knows how to renovate an entire house I so mean, he he has that trait yeah. he had he has like manly like what stereotypically would could be considered manly traits mm-hmm. um but there were two years where he was homeschooling myself and my brother yeah. my mom worked mm-hmm. um he uh, he cannot cook uh. he ruins boxed mac and cheese once um oh. but he yeah he has like manly traits i would say uh, mm-hmm. stereotypically but um i think he has progressed more against his the toxic masculinity that mm-hmm. he was probably taught mm-hmm. uh because uh he had undiagnosed ptsd oh, from, uh, from, from vietnam, vietnam yeah oh, for so long yeah. and then once he came to terms with that then he was moving into being more yeah like through therapy and such like move he became more aware i'd say yeah yeah, he was always a listener and like empathetic, but I'd say he became more and more of that after he addressed the PTSD. Yeah, yeah. right. Um, I think this is a good place to take a little bit of an intermission break. I okay. still have like a bunch of questions yeah, for no you. Worries. So let's take a little bit of a break and then we'll cool. be back, okay? All right. Awesome. Good. 
Hi, welcome to the intermission segment of the Biotonal Podcast. This is where typically advertisements, sponsor plugs are put in a podcast, but currently we have zero sponsors. So I'm just going to use this time to say thank you for tuning in, guys. And we would also really appreciate it if you leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this podcast. Also, follow us across all the socials at Bitonal Podcast. If you have any ideas, feedback, comments, advice, stories you want to share, drop us a line at bitonalpodcast at gmail.com. That's all I really have to say. Okay, back to the main segment. And we're back. Hi again, Nathan. Hi, Christine. How's it going? I'm still okay. Cool. Are you awesome. still okay? I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm well hydrated. Well it's, hydrated. You know, stretch. Yeah. You know, get the hammies. That's what it is. Get the hams. Yeah, get the hammies going. Yeah, there oh. you go. <laughs> so in this portion of the podcast, uh-huh. I just want to talk about mental health. You yeah. mentioned early on that you had anxiety. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. Um, I have, well, I have anxiety and OCD. Mm. Um, so they play off each other very well. Um, I mean... So there's, uh, this is what I've kind of uh, learned is that uh, there's the holy trinity in mental illness, which is, they're kind of like the mainstay of things. Yeah. Um, depression, anxiety, and OCD. Uh, if you have one of them, it's possible you'll get like one or the other. Or exactly. if you have two, you'll definitely get like the third one. It's like a double whammy thing. Yeah. Two for one. Yeah. So um, like OCD is an anxiety disorder. Um, and I have like general anxiety, um, mm-hmm. which I take medication for, um, and I have a great therapist and it's, it's good. Amazing. Um, yeah. Yeah. For all the men listening, like just go see a therapist. Just, Honestly, just it's go, not man. like, well, for all of you listening, like yeah. seriously, like going, like having a therapist is like having a doctor, like your brain is a physical organ. Yeah. It needs. I always tell people, I'm like, Hey. You break your leg. Yeah. You go get it addressed. Sorry, carry on. That's okay. Um, yes. Just wanted to, you know, PSA that. PSA. Just go talk to people. Please. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. So I have generalized anxiety, uh, which I've I've always had. I just don't think I ever like I I can trace me having OCD back to when I was twelve. The anxiety yeah. I think I've always had, um, just hasn't I I didn't I never really noticed it I'm like oh my gosh I'm like feeling really wired right now I'm probably just nervous or stressed yeah um and then yeah how how it generally works is that so say there'll come like a thought or just like a an anxious thought or like an intrusive thought will come in and then my OCD, that overthinking obsessive part, will ruminate on it yeah. and just swirl it around in a blender mixed with anxiety yeah. and just stress me out, stress me out more. Um, and then poof, when it ends, when the blender is turned off, sometimes because you're so exhausted and there's also like guilt or shame and yeah. beating yourself up about, oh my gosh, I um, uh, like... I'm just so tired and exhausted that I'm like having to deal with this. Then depression will come in. And that's not all the time for me. Uh, It just like when it's been a particularly exhausting day Mm -hmm. um, or exhausting time with that. Um, 
Yeah, and my like my OCD is not. It's the internal kind. Yeah. Uh, some, uh, well, some some of uh, the slang around it is called pure O because it's not like I'm not uh, rubbing my I'm not rubbing like yeah. or cleaning things. But there's an entire subsection of OCD. Uh, there's an, there's there's a larger branch of OCD. It's not a subsection, but it's a larger mm-hmm. branch of OCD which is more internal. I mean, someone like could be a fairly high functioning person, and yet. Um, like OCD is called the doubting disease Mm -hmm. and they're struggling with, you know, what if this happens tomorrow? I mean, Mm -hmm. there's, there's harm OCD, there's, Mm -hmm. uh, there's pedophile, pedophile OCD. Mm -hmm. Um, and they're all doubts about yourself or about like, well, what if I harm myself or like, what if I harm my partner or like, um, uh, like what if I like randomly wake up in the middle of the night and there's, you know, blood in my sheets and I've killed yeah. someone. Yeah. Um, and it's just that, that doubt, mm-hmm. that fear. The what if. And then, yeah. And the uncertainty that for yeah. some reason our brains are just wired in a very yeah. sensitive way yeah. and we obsess over yeah. it. But do you see how that's basically generalized anxiety as well? Yes. It's no, like they, they connect. It's like one thing. Yeah. So, yeah. So the in terms of your personal experience, mm-hmm. uh, when were you formally diagnosed? Like when when did you figure it out? I'm sure like you probably went to a therapist and they're like, hey, buddy, like, you know. <laughs> yeah. So so therapists cannot unofficially diagnose. Uh, they can certainly mm-hmm. help. Um, my it's interesting because um, I went to I started going to a therapist back in January in um, Ottawa. Yeah. Uh, related more to my job and what I was dealing with there because I just wanted to process like, yeah. <laughs> what uh, I was experiencing every yeah. day. But um, the like over time, I was presenting more symptoms of my OCD, and I wasn't aware of that. What of that? It being that, uh, and neither was she. Mm -hmm. Um, and at one point I was, I think it was six months after I started seeing her, I thought she's not really helping me anymore with this. And so I, I left, um, which is, is fine to do folks. If PSA, yeah, if the therapist is not a good fit for you at the the moment, then yes, you know, you're doing it for yourself, not uh, for them. Um, and looking back on it, cause I've, I've gone to their website I won't mention who it is because they were they helped they helped and it was great. But yeah. I went back to the website and I looked at all of the um, therapists there. None of them list any experience with OCD. Mm. It's just the standard like anxiety, depression, relationship issues, yeah. uh, identity issues, etc. Yeah. OCD. I was officially diagnosed actually uh, two three weeks ago. Oh wow! Yeah, Fresh. so I know. Yeah, yeah. so because I was looking for a diagnosis just to. Mm-hmm. Um, cements and like affirm that this is actually a thing and what I think it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think a lot of times, and again, PSA again, mm-hmm. y'all. Um, people get a little bit caught up about like the label of it. Yeah. I know a lot of people they don't want to go talk to a therapist. They don't uh-huh. want to go see a psychiatrist because they don't want to be labeled as like the depressed one, mm-hmm. the anxious one, the one who has like bipolar disorder. It's yeah. one of those things where I would say within the past five years, stigma has gone down tremendously. Mm. But I'm not sure if that's because 
you know, we we are around mental health and yeah. we're healthcare providers that we mental health is something we see to be so open. Yeah. And there's no stigma anymore. But I know like people I've talked to, it's like, yeah, I don't want to be labeled a certain way. Yeah. And that's something I wanna like tell our listeners too. It's like just because you have a diagnosis in your pocket, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean like there's still value in knowing what's wrong with you, wrong in the quotation marks. Yeah. Because in order to get help that you need, you need to know what's going on. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm very glad that you're very open about. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, yeah like it's. Um, like, do, I, do you ever get caught up in the label personally? Um, Only, uh, I don't think I'm caught up in the label enough, to be honest, okay. because there are so many times where um, like, I mean, especially because, especially because OCD is the doubting disease. Uh, <laughs> there's, there are many people, there's a lot of experiences within the OCD community of, it's like, do I actually have OCD or am I actually going to harm this person? Yeah. Um, so I, there, I have to like keep on reminding myself in those moments where I'm experiencing the OCD, uh, that it's, it's not me. It's mm-hmm. just my brain and I'm not my brain yeah. and just kind of being gentle with myself in that. Um, but also I, like I had someone the other night tell me, um, about, uh, diagnosis they had, and they were very ashamed of it. And I just internally thought, why, okay. <laughs> like, why do you feel like shame and stigma behind yeah. this? I think for me, I just don't see any good of not talking about the struggles that you face or that you're dealing with, especially in the mental illness route, because yeah. honestly, we're all dealing with something. I have met one person in my life who's <laughs> like, who said, I haven't ever ex- had an experience with mental illness. And I'm like, bullshit yeah i don't believe that for a second and if they're just in denial but maybe or like if they're not experiencing it now then surely they will because statistically we're all going to experience depression at some point in our lives so i just i don't see a point in perpetuating um stigma or not talking about it i mean even just being because it's just it's a normal thing now. Yeah, it's like, and it's inevitable. You mentioned that uh, with you, you try to maintain like good social relationships. Mm-hmm. You're currently managing it with medications. Yep. And yep, yep, um, yep. what other like practices that you do? So what do I do uh, to help myself? Well, yeah. I, I work out, which I'm very strict on or try to be. It's something that I um, I do thrive on. I, re- I definitely, I reach out. Like there have been a lot of times... Oh, no, I'll talk, I'll talk about this, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a period, so I, I just moved here to Waterloo. Per the transition period, I didn't have a place in the area that had my prescriptions uh, on file yet. And so right. there was a day where mm, I ran out, I ran out yes. of my depression meds. Yes. And so there was uh, two days where I was without them. And the one day I was having like a moderate amount of OCD, but then I just like crashed into like the worst, like darkest place I've ever been with my depression. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I just felt like so isolated. And eventually there was one point in the evening where I was like, no, screw this. And I texted like 12 of my best friends and just like, can you please like pray for me or... Mm -hmm. Yeah, just just pray for me. And yeah. all of them responded with, yes, do you want to, like, talk or anything? Yeah. do you want me to come over or, like, well, they're hang all, up? Oh, they're, they're, they're in all Ottawa. Far away. Yeah, right. they're all in Ottawa. Shit, but, like, do you want to talk? And I said, yeah. no, just just pray. And then yeah. 
um i'll, I'll say this because what the hell mm-hmm. uh, race stigma like i went home and just like went feet on the floor and cried just because it was so hard Dude, it's fine yeah I, yeah it's fine i gotta i gotta keep on telling myself that no but um uh, yeah I don't, I personally don't think I cry enough oh, okay. for the stress that I'm under sometimes, but I, I think crying in itself is nature's mechanism of just release. It is emotional it. vomiting. Yeah. Yeah, it's but great. But through the tear ducts yes. and not yeah. the, or, the oral yeah. orifice. Um, dear God, <sighs> I hate so that That'd be so weird. That'd be so weird if you like cried like, out of your mouth. Yeah, just salt like water coming out of your, oh, oh I, oh, I can taste it. Yeah, yeah. anyway. Gross. Oh, that's um, a whole nother tangent. Anyway. Um, so. Yes. And I felt great afterwards, yeah. but... Um, yeah. so you reached out. Yeah, so I, I reached out. I have so many supportive friends uh, that I can reach out. Um, yeah. Like, I... <laughs> I sent out, like, I sent out a text <laughs> message last night saying, hey, I'm transitioning from this yeah. uh, medication to this other medication over yeah. the next two weeks. Please, like, be aware and, yeah. you know, pray and just, like, keep tabs on me. Yeah. So, and if I'm acting weird, it's, yeah. it's, this is what's happening behind uh-huh. the scenes a little bit. Like, it's, it's ha- yeah, it's having that strong support group, which I think is the most important thing. Yeah. It's physical maintenance. It's mental me- maintenance. I did meditation this morning and yeah. it really helped. Because yeah. um, the biggest thing for me, at least in my diagnosis, is being present. So yes. my brain is not constantly wandering over thinking. I have yeah. a cat. She's pretty, she's pretty uh, great. You know what? It probably comes down to getting a pet. It Having having <laughs> a, a pet, especially when you live alone, is very, like, required. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's therapeutic. I think, because yeah. I, I have a hedgehog upstairs. Oh, nice. Cool, See, cool. a yeah, hedgehog yeah. is a little bit different than a dog and a cat. Not they're not soft. social. They're not mm. soft. They're not, like, when I, when he's cuddly when he's in his little beanie. Yeah. Or when oh. I, I got oh. him in a towel. Yeah. Okay. That's kind of cute. Look at this. Yeah, yeah. See, guys, a man who's willing to say the hedgehogs are cute. This is prime example yeah. of just being evolved. Okay. Because <laughs> uh, I had a guy, I had a guy, he's like, what? That's lame. It's Sonic, Sonic the Hedge. I'm like, no, no, I he's mean, cute. I swear he's, like, oh, he's whatever. He's anyway, blue. He's, yeah, he's blue. blue. Um, and then the conversation ends there, but yes, he's very cuddly. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I know, like, I don't know about you, like, you know, in terms of the services you've had or what they're teaching in schools, like, Mm -hmm. I think animal therapy is a thing. It's a thing. It's not just like, oh, they're cute and cuddly. It's like they, they provide some kind of presence in your life when you, especially, like I said, when you're living alone, it's like someone to come home to almost. And Mm -hmm. like a lot of times it's like. I remember reading a story about this lady where she's like, yeah, I was super, she's she struggling with like suicide, mm-hmm. suicide, suicidal thoughts. And, um, and she's like, one, one day she realized like, shoot, if I'm gone, who's going to feed my cat? Yeah. So that yeah. literally was like in her action plan where mm-hmm. she's like, Hey, uh, I got to be here because I got to take care of this other little being. Yeah. Right. So PSA y'all mm-hmm. get a pet. <laughs> they're, they're very, they're very useful for many things. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. So um, some, I guess, final words for the podcast. I always Mm -hmm. end off uh, not just with a summary, Mm -hmm. but just a quick, like, what are some things you want to throw out into the atmosphere? Like, as as a future healthcare practitioner and, like, uh, like, what are you... What's your goal? What do you envision for for the future? Why are you doing it? Oh, these world, are loaded questions. World peace. Sorry, world peace uh-huh. and uh, prosperity. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, w- what do you want to tell t- the listeners, like, message-wise? Yeah. Um, 
Hmm. This, these I'm are... so sorry. I threw like a bunch of five loaded. No, no, that's, at this you. is good. Like for myself, uh, I mean, I'll talk career wise first. Like yeah. I plan, I don't know. The loose plan right now is to be um, ordained as a Lutheran minister. I want to, I don't know, it depends on where God leads me, but mm-hmm. like three years from now, I'd like to be a working pastor, but also like have, like bivocationally be a working pastor, but also have a, like, be doing therapy on the side. Yeah. Um, I'd like to be a registered psychotherapist. Um, That'd be nice. Would be. It's yeah. a lot of uh, a lot of field hours, but mm-hmm. that's where you go. Mm-hmm. Um, I, if you want to follow me on Instagram, uh, it's a public domain, public no public profile. Okay. Um, it's active underscore agape is my handle agape. yeah um and then if you i have a also a blog um it's more a blog where i uh I'm, I, I do spoken word um i haven't found a place to do spoken word in waterloo yet no, but eh? um no but i i like to write i like to do i like to write spoken word and yeah. poetry as it were but um and i do talk about struggles with anxiety and like mental illness in my in my writing Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's pretty good. Um, and I'm sure it's wonderful. So I'm going to go ahead and plug you in the description. It's, Are you cool with that? Yeah, if, no. If the, I just kind of like put your handles. Yeah, no, please. Yeah. The, yeah. the blog is called uh, activeagape.org. Mm-hmm. CA was taken. Sorry. Um, hold on. Why, why active agape? What was, so, what's the inspiration there? Yeah. So um, in Greek, like this does have ties like to uh, to God in Scripture, but yeah. uh, agape is um, the Greek word for divine love, like love from God to humanity. Yeah. Um, so I came up with the name "active agape" because I think love is like a working thing, like it's yeah. an action. Yeah. Um, I can't, I can't, in good conscience, walk by someone on the streets with. Uh, who doesn't have a coat and I got two and I'm like, I'll pray for you <laughs> and not give them a not coat. Give you the coat. I don't yeah. think that's love at all. I don't think yeah. that's loving. So I don't think you can just say to someone like, Hey, I love you, but treat not- you like trash all the yeah, time. Exactly. So I, I like the name. I like the wording of active agape because it is channeling the divine love of God to people and being active in that. Yeah. Exactly. Taking action. Um, what else? Oh yeah, what's my hope for the world? Yeah, um, and that's something I want to delve into. But mm. I guess we can kind of prolong this ending. Like, how does that? How does your spirituality or mm. religion? This I don't yeah. know why I totally missed this. It's okay. Like, how does that play into everything that you're doing now? Like, how do you identify as? Like, uh, how do you want it? Like, what? Um, what? Like, what role will like? Yeah, your your, your psychotherapy side of things play into your religion like how does that work yeah so uh very easily in my opinion (laughs) um so uh, my uh when i was it took me a long time to process about whether or not i wanted to become a pastor um and always i decided like if i was to run a church i would run it like a non-profit um because it needs to be held accountable in all those reasons. But Mm -hmm. specifically, I think pastors are not equipped enough to deal with all the issues that they face in a, with a within a congregational setting. Um, so like if I, if I didn't have experience working as a clin, uh, clinical therapist, 
I think all I could do was be able to sit with someone and be like, all right, let's pray or refer you to someone else. Yeah. I don't want that. I want to be more equipped and versed in order to able to actually, you know, sit with someone and be like, well, you might be experiencing this. Mm-hmm. Um, here are some specific modules. Come meet mm-hmm. with me a little bit and yeah. then see if I can refer you to someone that will see you long term. Yeah. Um, yeah, just knowledge is power. Yeah. Uh, but I want to be more than just um, a spiritual guide for someone. Yeah. yeah. And like you probably want to be able to give them like active things to work on as yeah. well too, right? Yeah. I imagine like, again, I was raised pretty, like my parents were Buddhist mm. back in Vietnam. But when they came here, it just disappeared. Mm. It got erased. Um, we never really carried on. There, not, no specifics, um, religion was passed on to me if that Mm. makes sense and i don't regret that Mm -hmm. or like i don't look back being like oh i wish i was raised christian or like buddhist or but like i think you need some form of spirituality in your life and like not to say like you need to have a big bigger picture above you but like Mm. i think it's really important um even for example in the future you're a pastor Mm -hmm. it's like you're gonna be giving them tools to cope yeah. as well as giving them hope mm-hmm. and faith in a way too. Yeah. So I'm, that's, a, that's when Josephine said like, Oh yeah, my degree is in like, yeah, spiritual care as well. Psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. I was like, Whoa, how does that play together? But like you said, it blends really, really well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like not just, not just career wise. Cause I think I, that's more of what I touched on, but, mm-hmm. um, spiritual care is a form of therapy, at least from what I'm learning so far is, right. It, like, it really depends upon if the person believes in that. Exactly. Um, like, uh, for instance, if I had an atheist come to me that wanted spiritual care, uh, we'd have to work on first developing an understanding of what does spiritual care mean to them? Like, mm-hmm. what does spirituality mean to them? Yeah. Because if they don't believe in God, then it's like, all right, what do you believe in? Mm-hmm. And for some people, it may be God, it may be, it might be Jesus, it might be... I don't know any of the Hindu gods. Um, yeah, it might be Yahweh if you're yeah. from a Jewish background. Yeah. Um, might be belief in uh, the spirituality of all things. Yeah. I think that's per Hindu uh, Buddhism. Yeah. Um, but it's it might just be you know belief in the spirituality of something. Yeah. And that kind of higher power idea, yeah. and the knowledge that you can find. It's like having an outside source that is creating some uh, assistance for you, specifically yeah. in terms of what you believe. Yeah. 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 Depends on the person, though. There you go. Yeah. And my biggest, like, policy is, like, you got to find what works for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, at some point in your life, I, I truly do believe it. It's like some point in your life when, you, let's say you're approaching death. Mm-hmm. Not to say, like you need to have a therapist or mm-hmm. you need you need someone like a spiritual guide but like i can see how that eases like the process mm-hmm. it's like sometimes i think about or at least the one of the reasons why like I, w- I wish i had some spirituality in my life is because like with me as a scientist i'm just like yeah when you die you die yeah very meek and very depressing to think about right whereas like I mean, you do die, but look, you, you yeah. do die. You do die. I mean, yeah. it's not like it's, it's what it is. Mm-hmm. And it's, you got to accept it. But yeah. like, 
I think for some people, like when you're going through a difficult time, let's say like you're mm-hmm. diagnosed with something. I don't like spirituality really helped my mom. Mm, yeah. She's Buddhist, but like you know, she she listens to these like talks and she listens to like the um, the Buddhist monks uh, mm-hmm. give speeches about like what li- what life is, what death is. Like it really helped her yeah. through a difficult time. So when Josephine like and you like, I think mm-hmm. it's a very very you have a very unique standpoint and you can help a lot of people. So, Thank you. I, yeah. I hope so. No, you're gonna you're gonna do yeah. great in life. Thanks. It, your name's not Nathaniel. And no, it's just Nathan. Okay. Yeah. So again, like the scripture. No um, thank you, Nathan. You're welcome for coming on to the Bitonal Podcast. Thank you for being such a well-spoken, open-minded, vulnerable guy. Homeschooling, yo. Homeschooling is great till grade nine. Um. So thank you again for coming all the way to speak with us. Okay. My pleasure. Thank you. Okay. And. Uh, Hopefully, maybe in the future, we'll have you on again and we'll touch base and see where you're at, okay? That would be lovely. Okay. Thanks again, Nathan. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Today's chosen topic for World Are You Still Good? is the Danish and Norwegian concept of Hygge. It is spelled H-Y-G-G-E, but pronounced Hygge. From what I understand, if you're Danish or Norwegian, please tell me, please correct me if I'm wrong. It can't be directly translated into one English word, but it encompasses this idea of coziness, it seems. Uh, We know that the people in Denmark are among one of the happiest people in the world, so clearly they are doing something right, y'all. Hygge is a noun, an adjective. It refers to the main facets of uh, comfort, companionship, relaxation, simplicity, and connection to nature. So like me, you guys are probably wondering, what does it mean to live a life of Hygge? Uh, The article I found, it describes it almost like a lifestyle or a mood uh, or a combination of objects and feelings. I know, just a very vague concept there. For example, things like candles, fireplaces, comfort foods, and hot drinks. Those are all considered hygge. Things like strict rules and our incestuous mobile phone use or things like um, impulsive online purchases. Those are considered not hygge. After doing some more research, uh, I still haven't fully grasped a strong understanding of hygge. But it seems to be a really neat concept. And my takeaway was... Keep doing the things that make you happy, whether it's reading, listening to music, or taking a bubble bath. We North Americans are so primitive and uncultured, so I think it's about time we take some lessons of self-care from the Danish. If you want to know more about this concept, check out the little book of Hygge, Danish Secrets to Happy Living, a book by Mike Wiking. Wiking? I really need a Danish person on this podcast. Have a great day, guys. Welcome. You made it to the end of the episode. This segment is called, World, Are You Still Good? As some of you may know, living on the planet, it kind of sucks sometimes. It's not always sunshine and rainbows. So, this part of the podcast is where I send you off with good vibes before you re-enter your sad miserable realities. Kidding. You're fine. We're fine. So, here is this week's World, Are You Still Good? 